The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. Welcome to the Formed Book Club, brought to you by Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. On the program today, Ignatius Press founder and editor, Jesuit father, Joseph Fessio, Ignatius Press editor, Vivian Dudrow, and best-selling author and editor, Joseph Pierce. Join the program as they discuss Cardinal Robert Seurat's book, The Day is Now Far Spent. This is part one of the discussion. Welcome to the Formed Book Club, brought to you by Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. On the program today, Ignatius Press founder and editor, Jesuit father, Joseph Fessio, Ignatius Press editor, Vivian Dudrow, and best-selling author and editor, Joseph Pierce. Join the program as they discuss Cardinal Robert Seurat's book, The Day is Now Far Spent. This is part two of the discussion. Welcome back to the Formed Book Club with Joseph Pierce, Vivian Dudrow, and your humble servant, Father Fessio, here in San Francisco. Joseph is in South Carolina. Uh, we are covering this book. The day is now far spent, but it's been difficult to decide how to divide it up because we don't cover all we'd like to cover in a decent amount of time. Why? This book is so full of incredible ideas and insights and statements from a wonderful man of the church. So we're going to continue where we left off last week, and we're sort of in the middle of, of this part one. Part one has to do with the spiritual and religious collapse of the church, crisis of faith, crisis of priesthood, crisis of the church, and acedia in the identity crisis. I'm going to jump right into page 43, which I think is the first page any of us have that has not been discussed. And he's quoting Guardini, the great uh, German writer, philosopher, theology, liturgist. And uh, Guardini says that transcendence in the Mass is symbolized by the altar. And here comes this quote. Its meaning is probably most clearly suggested by two images. It, that is the altar, is threshold, and it is table. Jumping down in his quote. Uh, actually, this is what was added by Carl Seurat. That is why it is not fitting for the priest celebrant to stand, quote, on the other side of the altar, close quotes, as though he were taking God's place. In doing so, he is like a screen that hides the transcendence of God. He is a veil that hides the majesty of God. Thus, instead of looking at God, the faithful look at the priest, and he, by his movements, gestures, and many words, muddles the mystery, hides divine transcendence. That's the closing of the quote by Cardinal Seurat in the middle of his citation of Guardini. And I think I read, read this last time. Well, we did talk about why it's important for the priest to face the altar and how people need to have this explained to them. But what he takes up on the next page, 
we didn't discuss, and that is um, that, this is page 44, all of Christian civilization is born from the altar as from its source. That is a very sweeping statement to make. It is. And, and. Now you say here. Read aloud. Read aloud. So you better read it aloud. Well, uh, I don't want to read it all. But, but he goes on from there. You might want you to. The, the alt, how about this? He goes on and says, the altar is the heart of our cities. Literally, our towns are built around the altar, huddled around the church that protects them. Of course, this is much more physically apparent in, in Europe, Europe yes. where prior to the automobile, villages grew up in circles around the church. Um, the the uh, loss of the sense of God's grandeur is a dreadful regression towards savagery. The sense of the sacred is indeed the heart of all human civilization. The presence of a sacred reality gives rise to sentiments of respect, gestures of veneration. Religious rites are the mold that shapes all attitudes of human politeness and courtesy. And then at the end of this paragraph, the more deference we show to God at the altar, the more tactful and courteous we will be toward our brethren. We will discover the sense of human greatness if we agree to acknowledge God's transcendence. You know, I am thinking to myself, uh, bad mistake, looking forward to this broadcast. I should have gotten two images, one an image of almost any village in France where you have, uh, you see kind of farmland and then a little rise where the village is, and in the center there's the church and there's a steeple. It's a beautiful thing, and, and, and it's all the same kind of architecture, the same kind of stone. It's beautiful, and you see exactly that, the, the, the land, the town, the church, the steeple over the altar, then I would contrast that with a picture of St. Patrick's in, San Francisco, in, uh, in New York. Mm. We have a beautiful Gothic church, but it's surrounded by these enormous glass and steel skyscrapers where it's kind of buried. You know, you don't see St. Patrick's on the New York skyline. No. Uh, but that, that's because, of course, the god that's worshipped in New York City is the, is the god of Mammon. And, and those, those edifices are, are temples to Mammon. Uh, and really, it's just, it's just an architectural reflection of the priorities uh, of the people that live there. Well, there's a very poignant um, episode in the life of John Paul II when he was still a bishop in Poland and the communist state was building these new communities for the new... Yeah, Nova Huta. Right. And... He, uh, he was looking at these plans and saw that, of course, the atheist communists were not going to put any churches in these new towns, in these new housing districts. And I believe, though, that he, through his gravitas and moral authority and, and persistence, he did manage to get the Polish authorities to agree to build a church. But he was saying by taking out the transcendence of God from man's life, from man's existence, you're literally taking out his center, and you're destroying him. But that now comes to mind with a deeper understanding, now having read the Cardinal kind of flesh all this out. 
And no, yeah, well, you think logically, right? If the Catholic Church uh, is correct in what she teaches, uh, and that the, the the Mass, the Holy Mass, sacrifice of the Mass, is a representation of God's sacrifice on Calgary, then it makes absolute sense that that's the heart and the hub and the hearth and the home of human civilization. And it does it all emanate from the altar and all lead towards the altar. And when you remove the altar, you actually remove the heart and the soul from human civilization. I think it was John Senior and others who talked about the 13th century, especially as being a peak in this idea that the whole world was seen as a monstrance built for the Eucharist and that the cities, the churches were all pointing up you know, to the transcendent. So, but, you know, he puts it in such down-to-earth, nice African concrete language. I just, uh, well, we're, we're going to be re-evangelized by Africa, just like uh, in the early Middle Ages, after the fall of Rome, uh, it was really the, the Irish that came back into Europe uh, St. Columbus and St. Columbanus and the, the monastery of St. Gall and so on, uh, they're the ones that, after Europe had kind of gotten tired of Christianity, they were the new, you know, converts. They came back and re-evangelized. I think we're already seeing Africa doing that in the United States. A lot of African priests here. We have some right nearby. Mm -hmm. So well, I think there's a, great, there's a great divine symmetry there, right, is that... Uh, you look at you look at human history. You look at secular history, uh, and the abomination of slavery, which is a consequence of secularism. It's appropriate, if you like, that that, that uh, a secularism that's, that's denied Christianity should be re-evangelized by the very people that are brutalized by it. Mm -hmm. yep. So I want to go to sixty-nine, but I think you have a page before that, Joseph. You want? To... I have yeah, page fifty-four. Just a couple of things on page fifty-four. Um, there's a, um, um, a very uh, long quote here at the top of page 54. Um, and, you know, I, I've now lost my note as to who said it. Is this a long quote? It's presumably not by Cardinal Seurat. Um, oh, well. Um, but anyway, uh, it says here on this point, page 50. Sorry, this is page, uh, um, this is page 51. I beg your pardon. Forgive oh, me. Oh, so, yes, a oh, long yeah. quote, top half of page 51. 54 is what I want next. Um, the UN structures which impose a new world ethic play a decisive role and have become today a crushing power that propagates itself over the airwaves through the unlimited possibilities of technology. I find this very interesting because we do see even uh, members of the hierarchy in the church sort of genuflecting before the United Nations as if it's some quasi-religious authoritative structure, whereas in actual fact it's the political arm, if you like, of a a secular globalism, and I think we need to be wary of the power that it wields, and I'm very pleased to see that basically um, uh, stated in, in that quote. And I wish I could remember who Well, well no, but that's, Joseph, yeah. citation is a citation of himself. He, oh. is, he is quoting... Uh, uh -huh. It's normally the start of pilgrimage in 2018. Yes, You're right. Exactly. So this is Cardinal Seurat. So yeah. absolutely. Right. And then the other good. thing I love in that same quote is the fact he quotes Eliot. And obviously I love literature and I love Eliot in particular. This wonderful line from Eliot, in a world of fugitives, the person taking the opposite direction will appear to run away. So there's <laughs> the paradox. I mean, worthy of, worthy of Chesterton, right? That's the whole true. world is flying away from God. 
So therefore, yeah. the one who's flying in the opposite direction towards God will be appearing to be running away. Yeah. Great paradox. He takes up the theme of uh, not just the UN, but uh, NGOs. And uh, yes. he mentions even by name the Gates Foundation, Planned Parenthood, uh, and this this ideological colonialism of Africa, which, by the way, I'll do a shout out to an yes. Ignatius Press yes. book written by an African woman, a Nigerian, called Target Africa, yes. where she un, um, you know, spells this out with all the documentation of how these organizations are just so very concerned to make sure that Africans don't reproduce themselves. And he talks about this colossal exercise of economic power on the part of the modern technological societies against these poor countries. And it's ironic, of course, that the culture of death has has targeted uh, um, uh, black people because, you know, we, we, we know the racism of the early Planned Parenthood movement uh, and the actual right. the, their, their desire that these these early abortion clinics should be set up in, in, in African-American ghettos to stop the African-Americans from breeding. And now here we have, uh, you know, almost 100 years later, this new type of colonialism, this new imperialism. Yes. Imposing upon the Africans uh, birth control against their will, so it, there is something pernicious and ultimately, and let's not beat about the bush here, racist about what's going on. Of course, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. And he he brings. I wish I could find the page, but he does bring this up again later in the book uh, and goes into detail about it. We'll get there. Yeah. So well, I, have a, I have a very brief quote on page 54, if you if if want to move on. Just go ahead, towards, let's go. Towards the bottom of that page, um, you know, about 10 lines or so up at the bottom of the page there, I mm -hmm. just love this quote from Cardinal Savart, talking about the priest. A priest must not let himself be taken in by the world, as though the time dedicated to Christ and intimate silent prayer were wasted time. Mm -hmm. The most wonderful fruits of our ministry are born in silent prayer in front of the tabernacle. And again, you know, if, if we have a, 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 a people, laity and priests that genuinely have faith, they know the power of prayer and they know, they know the power of silence in prayer. And we were talking earlier about the altar being at the center of, of, of human culture and human civilization. Of course, the tabernacle is at the center of the altar. And we really need to be um, uh, in silent adoration and meditation and contemplation because that's christ's presence amongst us and it's in that silent prayer that we actually grow in love and faith and without that we actually die and i and i think that his insistence that silence and not activism is where we need to begin yes and he follows up that point on page 57 where he talks about uh, mother Teresa. he says this is the bottom of 57. I advise all priests who consciously or not are drifting toward activism not to forget Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Jesus always held the first place in her day. Before meeting the poor, she would meet God. And that's because what does she have to offer the poor if it's not God? Right. Now, you, joke, yeah. you mentioned the fact that tabernacle is the center of the altar. as if you took that for granted. That has not been the case in many churches in the last 30, 40 years. They moved I'm aware of that. Way. <laughs> but you, you see, that's where it should be. Yeah. Ask this question. 
Do any do you think that any of the priests who have brought so much shame on the church these last twenty years could have written the kind of things that Carl Schrauer has written? They're not praying in front of the altar. I I can't believe these priests are abusing children. You know, they go in to make it a holy hour and then go out and abuse a child. No, it doesn't work that yeah. way. No, no, exactly. Now, there's, there's a lack of faith and an act of love, which is a prerequisite for some of the monstrous things that have happened. We'll return to the Foreign Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. My next one's on 69. Um, let's have a look. Um, well, I, 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 I'd, like, I'd like very briefly at least to have a nod of deference to the wonderful quote that Cardinal Sura quotes uh, St. Pius X uh, on page 60. And I don't, we don't have to read it all, but the, the, but the, but the, the clear, clear thing is here, St. Pius X warning, back in May 1914, so over a hundred years ago, of the dangers of modernism, the dangers of wanting to move with the fads and fashions of the age and trying to, if you like, dilute the faith with modern, the modern spirit. So let's just read the, just the first sentence and the I'll let the rest speak for itself when, when uh, our viewers here can, can look at it themselves. 
We are, alas, in a time when men are welcoming and adopting with great facility certain ideas of conciliation of the faith with the modern spirit, ideas that lead farther than one thinks, not only to the weakening, but even to the total loss of the faith. So again, this is this could be written today, right? This is obviously, and I think it's important that you know that, that this problem is a problem that, that the church has faced throughout her history, of people that want to accommodate the timeless teaching and beauty of the faith with whatever the latest fads and fashions are in society. It's not a new thing when we see the sort of things happening now in the church. Um, too many to itemize, perhaps. It's the same spirit that has prevailed, and that, and that Pius the Tenth quite rightly. No, condemns as modernism being a heresy. And I think it's a quality of this book, which is the quality of many good books, that he's not just giving his opinion or giving us a homily. He is showing us by these citations of Pius X and others how this fits into a whole historical pattern. And it, and it kind of brings us out of reading the newspapers only or blogs and to see what's happening in our lives in a larger context that helps us make a better judgment. So he's yeah, the, rich, the richness of this way. book is a tapestry of great minds because Cardinal Seurat weaves these other great minds into his own narrative in a way that enriches them, enriches it, and enriches us. But in order to just balance out a little bit, uh, Pius X and, and uh, the use, use of modernism and so on, you know, he does uphold the Second Vatican Council. Of course he does. And, yes. and he does uphold the changes that the council fathers wanted to make in continuity with the tradition of the church, not in a rupture. And it's really important to, to keep that balance in view that, uh, that um, the, our problems do not begin with the Second Vatican Council, nor were they caused by it. And the solution is not to try to go back to some previous point in time but to try to truly listen to the Spirit in faithfulness to the deposit of faith that the church has been entrusted to protect and to further through time. Yeah, I, I agree with all you said there, Vivian, but I will just reiterate, modernism is a heresy. The Second Vatican Council is not a, modern, not, not a modernist council. So things done in, in the name of its spirit have been heretical in a modernist council. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, yes. It's just it's just I, I meet Catholics every day who just think the word modern, they apply this word very sloppily. Uh, right. Oh, and, yeah. And, and they don't understand the word they're using. Right. Uh, so I, There's a difference between modernist, uh, understood theologically, and modern, right? Or indeed, modernist right. in terms of literature. I mean, Tia said it was a modernist in terms of literature. So, She's referring to the fact that there are more and more of these attacks really who simply label people like Balthazar, de Lubac, and even Ratzinger Benedict as modernists. Oh, yes. You know, they're the modernists. Well, oh, yes. I'm sorry. They're mistaken in the yeah. way they're using the word. Yeah, so, so without, I, without mentioning, we don't want to get, get, get to be factional here, but, but I agree there's a certain type of person that's, and I would, I would label them tribalists, um, where basically they, 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 they belong to a certain tribe and they're not really interested in engaging on a level of reason, just in a level of, of labeling people with, with the pejorative terms that therefore means that they can be um, considered enemies and not have to be engaged with. And that's not a way forward uh, in, 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 a faith, in faith and reason. Uh, it's, it's, um, 
it's, it's a ghettoizing of thought, which is not a good thing. Right. Of course, the big problem is you're not in our tribe. Right, precisely. Yeah. No, no, no I, that's the whole point. And if someone, someone could be said to be, well, they, he's not one of us. Right. right. Ipso facto, we don't have to listen to him. Right. 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 All right. I'm uh, anything before 69. Not for me. All right. Go for it, Father. All right. Uh, they talk about uh, some, he says, some people clamor for priestly ordination for women. <laughs> we just got over the Amazon Synod where that was clamored yeah. for. Mm -hmm. Some Reformation communities have yielded to the world's pressure and have fabricated what they call female priests and bishops. This so-called priesthood is not Christ's, but rather a human fabrication without any sacramental value. I mean, thank you, Carl Sarah, for just saying a, a simple sentence. Yes. You know? Yes. But uh, what I love... But. What do you I, mean, but? No buts oh, on this No one. buts. And, and, and. This is an and because I love this line also so practical. This is page 70, the bottom of the page. Even more profoundly, some people show that they have not understood why the eminent dignity of women does not consist merely in doing what men do. Oh, that's just so brilliant because in this age of um, uh, transgenderism and all this gender confusion and everything, uh, the true genius of being a woman is actually being taken from women right uh by, by well, that, and the irony is vivian that basically the assumption that the, at the bottom of all this which is largely a marxist assumption is yeah. that women are, are have no value unless they actually behave exactly the same way as men i mean how, how how radically sexist is that as a position that's right that's exactly <clears throat> right it is radically sexist to say that the only women who have value are women who are, we can make into men and right. sadly the leading numbers of children with this supposed gender dysphoria, uh, it's, it's way more girls than boys now, way more girls who want to be little boys. This is an absolute abomination that these girls have come to believe that the only value they would have is if they could be made into boys. This is exactly well, that's, what being, that's what they've been being told psychologically and economically and yes. for a century so is it any wonder that they now think they can think they can do it physically it solves the problem right yes precisely well and, and then the, the parallel to that uh in liturgy is that lay people think they can't really be valuable to the church unless they have a ministry unless they're ordained women and men you know talk about clericalism See, that, that's clericalism, that is clericalism right? yes yeah all right my next passage says 76. Anybody hit before that? No, I'm, I'm not yet. Well, we might, let's see. Did we discuss this last week? Oh, no, this is really important. It has to do with celibacy, you know, which again was debated. At we, and we talked about celibacy a we bit did. last time. But mm -hmm. I don't think I quoted this, though. Page 76, towards the top. How could we, he's going to talk about the priest now, how could we encourage young people to embark on the adventure of indissoluble marriage we ourselves are not capable of giving our lives forever. You know, the idea of leaving the priesthood or having one vows, one vows, uh, you know, removed or whatever, uh, 
uh, you know, or not keeping yourself safe. I mean, how how are married couples going to have the courage to try and be faithful to their vows if priests can be let out of there so easily? Well, and you can see that they're rising and falling together because oh, yeah. the same people who want to have married priests and so on often are the people who don't believe in the indissolubility of marriage. They think the bar is too high, that this is impossible to stay faithful to one spouse for life. And, of course, without God's mercy and grace, it, it is. Even the disciples were asking Jesus, yeah. well, who should get married? You know, yeah. who should marry? I mean, we sure shouldn't. Um, so, but what, what this is doing is denying the power, the transformative power that God offers us in Christ. If you really believed that what he's offering in Christ were true, then you wouldn't keep insisting that these things are impossible. <laughs> That's right. All right. You name before 79? I got one on 79. It's still yours, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Uh, what a sign of faith and of trust in God, a clear reaffirmation of the greatness and necessity of priestly celibacy would be. Now I'm going to cry here. Uh-oh, get the tissue. I know a bishop who, given the shortage of seminaries in his diocese, announced that he himself would make on foot once a month a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine. He's done this for several years to show how much he believes in the spiritual efficacy of his gesture. Today, his seminary has to be enlarged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a faith faith in action. And 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 not, not uh, politics, not ideology, but faith in action. Faith and sacrificial love. Yeah. Right? You know, making a pilgrimage barefoot, you know, being willing to suffer for love like this, yeah. that's the powerful prayer. Yeah. The most powerful prayer. If more of us did that, we would go a long way in turning things around. And it has been the case, you know, throughout the church that the bishops that have had most courage to actually follow the, the authentic teaching of the magisterium are the ones that have had the best results in terms of getting vocations to the priesthood. You look at you look at which seminaries are burgeoning, which seminaries are thriving, oh, yeah. which seminaries are full, which seminaries are, are full of younger priests and seminarians mm -hmm. as opposed to those that are dying. And it's a direct correlation between the faith of the former and the lack thereof of the latter. Same thing, Joseph, for the religious communities. The yes, indeed. The, indeed. Comments, the orders, the ones that are growing are the ones where real sacrificial love and faith is practiced. Yeah. Then he continues here, uh, and this was written, of course, earlier this year, uh, and he's referring to the Amazonian Synod, which just closed a couple of days ago. This is on page 79 at the bottom. Which show disdain. Yes. For the inhabitants of the Amazon region to propose second class priests for them. Mm -hmm. I know that some theologians, like Father Lobinger, he mentions the name here, German name, are seriously considering the idea of creating two classes of priests. One made up of married men who would only administer the sacraments, while the other would be made up of full fledged priests who carry out the three priestly responsibilities sanctifying, preaching, and governing. What does Carl Seurat say to that in his very nuanced language? This proposal is theologically
particularly absurd. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I've come up with a very, I've come up with a very naughty joke. I hope it's okay. You naughty joke. I've got a very bad pun after your naughty joke. Yes. Okay. Go, ahead. go ahead. I'm ready. I've renamed the Amazonian synod, synod as the boys from Brazil synod. <laughs> very good. And I was yeah. going to say that uh, Cardinal Suwad has not beat about the African bush, but that was my bad pun. So, yeah, bad jokes and bad puns together there. Well, maybe we'll liven things up a little bit, you know, <laughs> viewers that way. <laughs> All right. I'm, I want to go on to page 88. Anybody got something before that? Nope. You still beat me. This starts a new chapter called the crisis of the church because this previous crisis was a crisis of the priesthood he's talking about. But... I love this first paragraph on page 88, head of the chapter. Uh, many theologians. Oh, we quoted that last time. You did know. we? Yeah, but it's, it bears repeating. We, okay. Like Henri de Lubac, Louis Boyer, Hans-Jules von Balthus, Joseph Ratzinger have analyzed this crisis at length. I will be only the humble echo an extension of their analysis. These are some of the theologians that are called modernists. Yes. You know, Mistaken. or even heretics. Yes. That's right. And yeah. here he's only a humble echo. I mean, yeah. the man is very humble to even couch it that way. But okay. I see I quoted that last week. Yeah. Already. I'm sorry. That's okay. all right. We're, I said it's a shout out. It twice, yeah. It's a shout out okay. for Ignatius Press. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll, I'll quote it next week, too. Well, <laughs> to get it across. And, and by the way. Throughout this entire book, he's quoting from these men oh, yeah. continuously. You look at who quotes most. I mean, he quotes Pope Francis, but more he quotes Benedict and John Paul II, and uh, Ratzinger, the earlier, you know, Ratzinger. Yeah, I think my memory from he probably quotes Ratzinger, uh, Pope Benedict, um, more than anybody else, um, which is so. warms my my heart. Um, I've got page ninety. If uh, if that. Trump's everybody Go else. ahead. 90, you beat me. All right, it's the bottom of the page, just after the quote there. When we speak about a crisis of the church, it is important to specify that the church, as the mystical body of Christ, continues to be one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Theology, doctrinal, and moral teachings remain unchanged, unchangeable, and inviolable. The church, as the continuation and extension of Christ in the world, is not in a crisis. She has the promise of eternal life. The gates of hell will never prevail against her. And this is something we have to always remember because if we're in yes. danger, otherwise, of seeing the church as some sort of human institution that can be destroyed by human beings. The church cannot be destroyed by human beings because it's the mystical body of Jesus Christ. And, and so the, 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 when we talk about a crisis, it's a crisis of the members. It's the crisis of this particular generation of Catholics, um, many of whom have reneged on the mystical body of Christ by not actually being in harmony with its teaching, the church's teaching. That's the problem. But the church herself will not only survive but triumph. I mean, that's what? absolutely assured. Well, to me, what's amazing is after that, he says, today, the crisis of the church has entered a new phase, the crisis of the magisterium. I think that is the first time I've ever seen a cardinal of the church 
refer to a crisis of the magisterium. That is very strong. Where is that on that page? What That's page? on page 91. Where? Oh, there it is. Crisis of the Magisterium. Uh, I, I, I failed to mark, mark some of the important portions. This is good. Okay. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's painful to contemplate what that means. Yeah. You know, I think this, is a, this book is a rich mind for us. All right, well, so next time we'll continue with part one here. Uh, and we probably will not finish it, but start part two for next yeah. week, just in case we do. Because at the end of part one, he talks about the liturgy, and that's going to take an hour more, I'm, I'm sure of that. Uh, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, perhaps Especially with we, an expert here. Oh, yeah. We could, we, could, we could request that people maybe read part two, but obviously with the expectation that we don't expect to get to the end of sure, part well, two. Sure, at least read the first chapter, part two, just in case right. we're there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. God bless you all, and we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for the Formed Book Club, brought to you by Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. For more information on how you can instantly get thousands of movies, faith filled programs, audio presentations, and ebooks, go to formed.org. To get a copy of the book discussed on this program, Cardinal Seurat's The Day Is Now Far Spent, go to your local Catholic bookstore or online at Ignatius.com.